Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. I want to welcome you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to providing valuable information regarding the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. For nearly 30 years, I have been helping listeners learn how to relate many of life's situations to their finances. This pandemic has caused wide-scale disruption in nearly every sector of our lives. No matter your personal situation, we strive to meet you where you are at, both financially and emotionally. Our guests during this series include a futurist, economist, physician, psychologist, as well as local Milwaukee business professionals to get their perspective on how you can apply their insight and expertise to your financial future. This important series will be aired on WISN AM 1130 during our regular Money Sense times, which are Saturdays at 2 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informative and be sure to share them with your family and your friends. Well, today is National Teachers Appreciation Week, and um, we're all experiencing this global lockdown of education. We're seeing that teaching is moving to online education. And in our country, some schools were actually really ready to effectively, you know, move into some of this online teaching because they've in the past experienced such things as hurricanes and snowstorms and um, all different kinds of national um, disasters. So when the order was given to go to online teaching, they, they were pretty ready. But there were a lot of us who all of a sudden found ourselves working from home and becoming teachers and trying to help our students and work and give them an effective education. And that's been very difficult. And I thought what a wonderful thing to do is to talk about education with this new COVID-19. And so today my guest is Renee Herzing, and she is the president of Herzing University. And we're gonna be discussing education and really some of her own experiences. She's got kids in school as well. I've been talking to my granddaughter. And what we really wanna do today is just put some um, sensibility to some of the sensationalism that we've been hearing on TV. So welcome to the show, Renee. Well, thank you, Karen. Really, really pleased to be here. You know, can you give my listeners just a little bit of a, a current um, overview of what you see is happening? And, and I know you're in the university setting, not the um, primary school setting, but there are a lot of things that are trickle-down effect with our um, with our education, and I, I don't think that I understood the importance of children being eight hours in school, um, which is really a safe space for them. There was all there was food that was always there on their table. Um, if they had some difficulties at home, um, it took them out of that situation. And now sometimes they're living and it's all day, twenty four seven with some of their biggest risks in their lives. And so some of these issues are, are really important and hard to understand. Absolutely. I think the biggest uh, component people notice now is school provides something that's critical to children and that's structure, right? It's structure, 
it's a support structure, it's a controlled environment. So, um, you know, that's really important for young people who some of them are blessed with the gift of discipline, not all are. <laughs> I've got two kids and, uh, you know, every kid is different. Uh, so I think what you're really seeing is putting people at home. First of all, people have very different uh, homes. You know, some people have the space to spread out, some people don't. Some have a lot of access to technology, some don't. So school was kind of a great, you know, the atmosphere itself was kind of a leveler for consistency. And now putting people at home, there's certainly different access issues. And do people have quiet places to study? Do they have online access and uh, internet and all these uh, basic things that maybe some of us take for granted? And then the other one is just a really solid structure of going through your day, spending this much time on this content. Um, and I, I've just noticed how school districts are very different. You know, we're in one suburb and the suburb next door has taken a very different approach and I'll say a very a more structured approach than my kids are experiencing. So I'm kind of just surprised how much um, autonomy is kind of out there and that uh, can be great for those school districts that are grabbing the day and moving ahead, but it can also be a very uneven experience. Uh, and I noticed that my kids are sometimes feeling like they're kind of swimming and it's uh, up to them to be very disciplined about it. And as a parent, I'm just missing the feedback. Like, how do you how do you know <laughs> if you're working at home during the day? You can check in once in a while, but how do you really know how your kids are doing uh, when it's just a, a lot more, um, just less structure around it? Well, I know that myself, if I was raising children right now, I have one computer at home. And if I would be yeah. working from home, I'd be on that computer. And now all of a sudden, maybe you have two children or three children all working at different levels. And it's that balance between do you work, you know, from 10 o'clock to six o'clock in the morning <laughs> and try and take yeah. care of your kids and educate them. And like you said, getting that scholastic feedback is so important. And it's, I know you've been on online teaching um, and classes forever, but so many schools weren't prepared for that challenge. And they also didn't even, they didn't have anything in place as to how they would literally communicate that to parents and to be able to determine kind of like there was no next steps. These are the three steps if something happens. And I think that communication for parents was so critical because many of us, I wouldn't have, and I don't know how to teach new math. I don't know how to, mm -hmm. I, I had these all hyperactive kids that needed to go outside and run like crazy so they could sit down, you know, after recess. And now you've got your kids inside all day. <laughs> right, right. Tough. It is. <clears throat> so certainly that's the point of saying of, you know, it's really hitting people differently because if you can't have multiple, I mean, obviously having multiple computers at home is a luxury and that uh, not everyone has. And at the same time, there's not access to public resources like the school or the library. So, you know, that's, that's uh, hit in a tough way. Um, and certainly, you know, the support, there is an online, um, I know communication tool for our kids and many districts have that, uh, but that's different than a real, like at a college, we have a learning management system, which is a much more robust uh, system. We have that for our online students. We also have had, we have campuses in the South. So we've gone through hurricanes. We, we survived Hurricane Katrina with our New Orleans campus. So we've kind of been through that and know the importance of, you know, even if this is a, a course that takes place normally on a campus, we have a digital shell of that course. 
And so we could convert very quickly and the students are enrolled in that to an online format. And so I think as this is a wake up call to us as a country that it is a digital age and uh, you need to have everything digitally. You can still use that uh, template then to be in the classroom and to be with students, but you should have everything stored digitally so that depending on whatever the circumstances, you could go to digital mode. And that's how basically all of our courses are so that we can flex between them. That's for the convenience of the students we serve, but also um, for these type of scenarios, basically for disaster recovery or backup or, you know, here, uh, who would have thought uh, that we'd be in this situation? And those who had some digital capabilities are really, uh, you know, able to proceed through it where those who don't are kind of caught flat footed. I think one of the, I know one of the outcomes from this COVID-19 is going, is that the true understanding that the 21st century learning is going to require technology and internet and the state and um, local school districts are going to have to figure out where those gaps are and then have that put in place. So that, that was a big awareness. One of the big awarenesses, I think that, um, that are going to come from this but it's it's confusing to know some schools now are saying that they're not going to reopen in the fall and i know there's even been some talk in milwaukee wisconsin that um already that they may not have school as we know it in the fall what's your take on that well certainly it's not nice to decide and <laughs> um you know health and safety is paramount but i just think then we have to get very entrepreneurial and very quickly uh, to um, figure out how do we use the summer to get ready for that. If that's indeed the case, then school districts uh, would need to be getting systems, getting their content mounted. Um, I know as a system, I've been reaching out to offer, hey, you know, we could, we could help with this. We have expertise, happy to, um, you know, help in any way we can with best practices and train the trainer and other things. So I think there's, uh, groups that have this expertise that are willing to help. And now it's having that receptivity and just organization uh, on the other side. Uh, but it's certainly gonna mean, you know, we, we can't sit back, we're gonna have to grab this and say, if that's true, then what system uh, is it, are the schools gonna be on and how do they get their content organized? Because uh, certainly looking at another school year like this needs a different approach. When I think of your, your school and the education that you provide, I'm wondering what parents can do to navigate homeschooling of their children. And you know some of the issues they're facing are parents are working from home and are also trying to teach. Um, they don't often know what children really need. And I don't know if the school understands um, what parents' capabilities are and what they logistically and emotionally can you know, can provide their children and helping parents to find that um, work-life balance because each parent's ability to teach is going to be a little bit different. And um, are there some courses that parents can take and organizational because, you know, a lot of parents just aren't used to doing that. They're used to the kids going to school at eight in the morning or nine in the morning and coming home at three with a note or the children know what they have to get done. And at this point now, the parent is taking on a lot more hats than they're used to wearing and Wendy's saying that it'd be a good idea to take a quick break. And so when we come back, if, if we could address from your own parenting and also from your school and the types of things that might be available to help parents with navigating this new frontier. And with that, we'll be right back. 
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We all know that we've been in this global lockdown of education, and I thought, what a great opportunity to ask Renee Herzing, who is the president of Herzing University, to help us to get a little got arms wrapped around a little bit of some of the things that are going on. And she is speaking today as a mother um, of children who are in school. Also, as I said, a president of the university. And we're just gonna take a few minutes to just talk about what are some of the things, if you're at home and you're um, in this situation of probably working from home and also now ha having to find balance between splitting up your workday and educating your kids, what are some of the things that might help you? What are some of the tools that might help you navigate um, this new frontier? Right, so I think out there, there are groups that specialize like tutoring groups or other groups that support children online, K through 12, there's online learning groups. One that particularly comes to mind that does a great job is called Khan Academy. Um, they have, you know, extra tutoring and they put out lots of subjects, you know, helping in math and other ones. And they actually stepped up because of the need and started writing um, kind of sample schedules. If your kid is this age, here's a daily schedule. And they posted those and those supposedly went viral very quickly. So there was obviously a demand for parents <laughs> of, if my kid is this age, you know, what's an appropriate day? As I said before, it's really about structure. Kids need structure. So what's an appropriate day? How do I go at this day and structure it with my child? Um, so I think there's great resources out there. Uh, I also think, you know, be great to get our school systems to the point where they have a more structured online learning environment, if that's where we need to be for a bit, uh, so that, you know, parents can not have to have that on them. And that's coming more, you know, from the school system as a structure. Renee, can you talk a little bit and discuss exactly what online learning is and how that is a, um, a, a great way for people to look at their education? And I think often, I always think about it as people who are doing online learning are people who are maybe a little bit older, they're working, and they also want to get their education. But what we're seeing now is that this may be a new wave of educating people um, all the way through their four or five years of, of college education. Absolutely. So um, certainly it evolved as more of an adult learner tool because you had people who are working. In fact, I started online learning myself in 97. I was uh, working at the time. I was actually living in Germany, wanted to complete my MBA, but was working. And so online was perfect for you know, a professional adult who wanted to fit this in their day. And the great thing about online learning is it's anywhere, anytime. Uh, so it's uh, fabulous in terms of being the ultimately flexible uh, educational vehicle. Allows a lot of access for people who wherever they live, they have access to it. Uh, you're not just need to be in a city with great uh, schools. You can access it from anywhere. And again, it flexes around your day. So certainly it started with adults and, and people with kids and, and jobs that said this is really flexible and fits into my life. I can do it at 10 at night. I can do it at five in the morning um, and do it in bits, in bits and pieces. But over time, it's just become a tool. It's, it's a modality. You know, people shouldn't forget that the learning uh, objectives are the same. The content is the same. Just like we're speaking over the phone instead of face to face, it's the same that online learning is the same uh, course content, and it 
is achieving the same standards. It's just in a different format. So it's important that it is structured properly to be very effective through videos, through live chats, through threaded discussions that organize it. There can be tools where groups can get together and collaborate. There can be whiteboarding online. So there's many ways, especially now, that can make it a very interactive experience. Um, we've had to crack some of the toughest things for online, which are hands-on skills, um, but there's great simulated labs now or simulated clinicals for nursing students where it acts like they're with a patient and they have to ask questions and interact with the software. So um, there's a lot of ways to make the online experience very, very effective, but it does need to be structured correctly um, from the beginning. And certainly now with this day and age, you are seeing that, I mean, there's people homeschooling their kids with online content. So there is whole K through 12 systems where people are learning online. Um, that's especially true for people who are like athletes or um, if they're in drama or in some other professions where the kids are already busy and have very uh, mobile lives, they are already learning online. Uh, you're seeing more kids in high school doing some uh, courses, maybe college prep or other things online, or taking um, AP courses online. So certainly there's been more and more um, use of it at various levels. And I think through the current situation, there's a lot more uh, students at various levels, especially those now coming out of high school, um, entertaining online as an option. I think as I look at the past, I, I never thought of it as a full college experience, which I think is, is where this is all leading us to. And so it's very, it, I don't mean easy, but it's available to have online programming, online counseling, um, to create a student life so people can participate in different um, groups that they may have wanted to be in before. Um, career development and counseling. Um, these are all things that we I only at least attributed to going to a traditional college, to a traditional campus. But I think a new awareness has come to us, which is going to change the college experience. It's also, I think, going to change what's happening, for example, with international students coming in. I know a lot of colleges depended on that international student who paid full fare. And a lot of these kids aren't going to be coming, able to come to the United States, but they certainly can go to your college and university and get the same diploma and learn the same types of, get the classes. That's something that I think is going to be a huge shift in how we think. So, yeah, to start with your first one about, um, you know, can you have a full college experience online? And certainly from all of the service aspects, you absolutely can. We started, you know, we've been teaching online for 20 years now, and we started in 2000. I remember, I, you know, just saying philosophically, we are standing up that a student online is going to get all the services we have, no matter where they live, uh, that, a, that a student coming to campus would. So we figured out, like you say, career services at a distance. Um, you know, we would do all the support, and we'd contact uh, employers in their area, and we'd send their resume to employers in their area. I mean, you can do all of these things at a distance. Uh, it just means the phone and video instead of in person, just as we're doing today. And when you think about, you know, people say, oh, but you don't really make relationships. Of course you can. Think of all the relationships people make online. Uh, if anyone's heard of the, the tool called Facebook, <laughs> we know that <laughs> a lot of people 
do a lot of socializing online. So this is, uh, um, I, I think people just don't relate that to education because we have our own models in our head uh, that are amazing to go to you know, campus and have that social experience. But people are very social online, sharing photos, sharing content, writing back and forth, and uh, make great friends uh, in the digital world as well. So um, certainly, I think that's a great parallel. If people think, gosh, I can connect on Facebook, you can connect and make friends in your online courses as well and create a whole support structure around it. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Renee, could you talk a little bit about the importance of the university that you go to online and how important that connection is? Because some schools, I'm certain, um, specialize in different areas. And how does someone vet out an online experience? And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Renee Herzing, and she is the president of Herzing University, which will be celebrating what year? How many years? Um, it's 55 years. 55 years, and they are yep. in seven states, um, regionally and nationally. And so I invited Renee to come on just to talk about what's going on with the school system. You know, we hear so much stuff on TV, and it's so sensationalized. Yet it's still like everything else, like your investment portfolio, like the doctor you pick, it's a personal decision. And Renee, I happened to ask my, my daughter this morning because she is in that place right now where her daughter will be a senior this year. And you know she hasn't been able to take her ACTs as um, traditionally they would. She hasn't been able to um, go to the school and feel the experience of the school. She's, um, you know, she's kind of in this place of uncertainty. And I did ask my daughter. I said, "Well, Julie, what if, or how do you feel if Mia was to go to a traditional school in another state?" with all this COVID hanging over us and that experience of thousands of kids, um, how do you feel about that? And she said, well, I really haven't thought about it and I don't think I'd be worried about it, but I know that there are gonna be a lot of people thinking about that. Do I really want my kid to go to a traditional school with th that traditional experience? But the question that begs to be asked is, how does a parent help their child determine which online school would be the best over a Herzing, over another one? And how is there a different preparation for going and doing an online school where they're not going into classes and sitting with teachers, but they have to be more organized and they have to have a stronger discipline, I'm guessing? I think it, I think it is true that it really helps that, you know, you can be, um, there's certainly a lot of motivation in the class, but some type of self-discipline because you're not, you know, living in that atmosphere, right? You do have to turn the uh, modality on the computer and set the time and have the structured time. However, I, I've learned both ways. I went to a traditional university for undergrad. I did my MBA online. I'll tell you, I felt very watched over in my MBA online because <laughs> when you logged in, you could see all the other posts that other people did. And if you hadn't posted in a day or two, there was a lot of pressure that, your name was not on this list. And I never felt actually that it was that visible undergraduate if I'd come to a class or not or participated or not. And, on, and you can see everything. You can take all the attendance. You can track how many posts. 
You can time responsiveness. I mean, it's amazing. So I always say it's a place you cannot hide. Um, I think there's actually more visibility, which I think people are surprised by. But you can disappear in a, in a 2,000 student lecture hall. You can't disappear in an online class because of all um, that it's literally so tracked. Uh, so there is some um, extra, I would say, motivation through that for a student uh, that, that, that there's that type of, um, you know, all you can see and you can go back and reread all the dialogue and have one-on-one -on -one interaction with the instructor. So, um, so I, I think there's a lot that can be structured in online when it's done properly. In terms of decisions about it, I mean, globally, I just say that colleges are working very hard on how they can safely bring people back to campuses. Um, certainly, it's hard for any of us to have a crystal ball of where this pandemic is, um, you know, three to four months from now. Uh, but certainly, I think everyone's working very hard on that. Uh, in terms of if somebody said, hey, I want to understand an online experience or make choices around that, certainly it's looking at, you know, your program. Again, content expertise, online's a vehicle, right? It doesn't change the program. So I think still students should be choosing on what is your area of interest? You know, if you're very interested in something, seek out a, a university that has expertise in that area. Um, you know, an area we've really focused on, we've been in technology for many years and business, and we've uh, got a lot of offerings in healthcare. Uh, so that's really where we're strong. And I think people should be led by, hey, if I, if I want nursing or if I want business or if I want IT, I'm going to start with looking at schools that are strong at that and then seeing if they have online offerings. It's usually not one or the other. There are many schools with physical campuses that offer online. I mean, that's our setup. We have nine physical campuses in different cities, but we also ha have online offerings across the nation. So it's not necessarily one or the other. There's a lot of institutions that have both offerings. Uh, so, you know, I'd be led by area of, of interest and that the school has strength in that area and uh, a breadth of programs offered in the discipline that a student's interested in. So they show a lot of expertise. And then I'd certainly look at accreditation is, is key. So are they regionally or nationally accredited? Um, you know, we're regionally accredited, the same as state schools and other private nonprofits in the state. Um, so that gives people comfort, okay, this is an accredited college. Um, there's certainly other type of accolades that schools can get. Um, are they, you know, there's US News and World Report ranks online schools. We've been privileged to be ranked with them for eight years. So there's those type of things that can give people comfort that people have expertise in it. And then I would check with the school, how long have they been doing online learning? Do they have a history in it? Is it something, you know, they're just getting into? Um, or have they, do they have a history in it? And, and they've, because um, it's certainly something you build up expertise and competency over time. Um, and, you know, we've had 20 years of experience and certainly learned along the way um, how to follow best practices. And then I'd look at, you know, the breadth of services. Are, as an online student, are you, are you going to go student services, career services, is there online counseling, is there online tutoring? I mean, everything you'd want in a campus experience, just specifically asking are all those services available, financial counseling, you know, everything that is important to a student. Um, do they have some type of groups and other things that are active online? So there's some type of social outlet. Um, certainly I'd ask what type of, um, you know, what, what's the platform like? What type of tools do they use in the classroom? Do they use whiteboarding? Are there open office hours where you can talk live with instructors? Um, and then you can 
even some uh, places have, you know, we have a free class offered right now so people can try one credit class um, at no charge to them. That's a great way for somebody to one, check out if they like online at all, and two, to, to see our platform and our course and how it's set up. So ultimately, that's great if a student can even see a demo class or um, they have something available to really let the student look under the hood and see how it's organized. Um, because that's really where you get the best impression of is it going to be a good experience for your learning style or for, um, you know, for, for what you're thinking for a structured course. Renee, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, so when I sit down with my clients and be it a grandparent who's looking at helping a grandchild or their grandchildren with education or a parent who is sitting down and saying, how, do, how much do I have to save for college? And how do I, how do, I do this? Well, we're going into a... a a few years um, of people losing jobs, being furloughed, not having enough money, um, worried about just the basics of living. There's a lot of people like that and they're thinking, how will I be able to afford college? And I'm thinking that this is a really great alternative for, for kids to have a reduced cost, I'm thinking. Um, so we're going to take our last break. And if we could come back and just talk about that whole economic structure. And, you know, I'm just going to put this out there. It's sort of like the elephant in the room. I think a lot of people have this idea that going either to a community college or an online college doesn't give them that status of saying, well, I went to Madison or I went to this college and I was in this fraternity and I was in that sorority. And I think it's going to change the way people look at education and education as a way of, of, of graduating into working and good jobs and not the fluff of where I went to school and what I did, but it's going to really, I think, help some students and parents look at education in a completely different way. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And my goal with these shows, and, and you can go to um, ellenbecker.com to see any that you've missed, is really to take some of the sensationalism out of what's going on and give you solutions. And that's what we would really like to look at in this fourth segment here is some of the solutions and to take away the myth of what is the difference between community colleges, online, going to college, and do you get the same education for maybe a lot less money? My guest today is Renee Herzing. She is the president of Herzing University. Um, they are in regionally and nationally in seven states, and they've been around a long time, and they've been participating in this online education for a very long time. Renee, how do people approach this whole economic and cost effectiveness and quality of education and not being able to say, maybe they even do have sororities online, I don't know. But, you know, we've got, a whole <laughs> different, we've got a whole different mindset around education that I think is going to be able to be shifted now because money is going to be looked at differently. And I don't know that there'll be as many good loans out there. And kids, you know, kids are really worried when they come out of school about paying back all that debt and getting jobs that they can't afford anything but pay back a debt. So I, I call it pragmatisms come to education. Um, I think a lot of us have nostalgia and again, uh, great memories of going to college. And there's a lot of social aspects to that about living in the dorm or, you know, maybe people met their spouse that way or have other things that made it such a life changing experience. And that's still true. However, when people say I want to 
you know, this is for skills and I want to be sure I get a job, there are other options. And um, that's for adult learners, but it's also for not, not every 17 or 18 year old really dreams of a college experience. There's a lot of people who, um, you know, end up dropping out of college or it's just not pragmatic enough for them. They don't see how the class is relating to a job field. So I think it's really that different strokes for different folks um, and that there's a very, um, there's different modes of education and whether it's, you know, a community college to get a certain technical skill, you know, online system modality, but there are a lot of a more professionally oriented and skills oriented education online. And it can be a great flexible and pragmatic option for people who really are looking at the job outcome. And you certainly want it to be a positive experience, but are less looking at, you know, the social fun of it and more saying, you know, I want to be sure my investment um, is sound and I need to work while I'm in school. I, you know, that's a pragmatic part of my life. Um, and there's a lot of other options just to make smaller bets. Um, so I think that's what, what I see coming out of this is people are going to say, look, first of all, I need a faster outcome. You know, I can't put life on hold for four years, nor can I invest in four years for a return on investment. So uh, there's going to be more micro credentials, which are shorter packages of courses. You know, maybe it's three courses together that lead towards some learning outcome that people can then upskill a bit or get a first skill to get a certain entry job. And then those credits could be built into the next level degree and the next level degree. So we've already always had this mentality um, at Herzing and that we have diploma courses that are about a year that transfer into associate degrees, that transfer to bachelor degrees, and then people can go on to our master degrees. So we have kind of a stair-step learning all the way through master's programs. And that, so that lets means, people take that the right level of education for now. Well, and that means that you don't are always faced with this, I can't transfer credits. I can't transfer credits if I go from one school to another school. It's all set up Certainly, within your school. Right, within us, it's all seamless. And we've built all our programs that way because we really want students to be able to get a quick outcome if that's what they need. For example, we have licensed practical nursing. It's one year. Students can get out, become a licensed practical nurse, and be working in the field and earning money. And they only made you know, a smaller investment to get right into the field earning um, a decent salary. Then they can come back and say, now I want to go for the Bachelor of Science in Nursing. And they can commit that time, and it's a, another stair of about two years. And then they can be out in that field working um, as a, a registered nurse. Uh, during that period, if they had a good enough grade point, they could have been working ahead on master's classes, and they can go on for a master's of science in nursing. So it's a way that people can end up in, in a very uh, lucrative field and uh, with good earnings, but they did it each chunk of the way and made smaller investments to get an outcome right away. And when you add that up over time, um, you know, they were, since they were earning while they were learning, uh, the economics to people, that's just a lot more practical, especially for, you know, adults who have uh, children or other or people to support. But certainly for young adults whose parents say, look, you know, we've got our own, we can't support you as much as we'd want to, or students are a little older and they just don't have the parental support. You know, that becomes a very pragmatic way to complete their education and, and not have it a limit. I think people sometimes get the stigma if you go to community college or you get a one-year degree, you're, that's it. You stop. But no, there's so much transferability uh, and mobility that it's more of a staircase 
and that that um, for many people, especially with the stress we're going to have after this pandemic, is a really um, sound economic option. I think one of the frustrations that I hear from my clients is that kids go to school and they have no idea of what they really want to do. And so they spend a lot of time searching for classes and things that they like, and they've paid a lot of money and they have student debt or parents have taken the retirement funds to pay for college. And there isn't a return on that. And a lot of kids, I think you're right. They have the idea that they must go to this college and do it in a traditional way where they could be working in a field that they think that they're interested in and if they're not, it's not such a big turnaround to change fields or to try and do something different. And it takes a lot of pressure off parents. I want to spend the last few minutes, um, Renee, talking about how do parents have this conversation with their children, if you have some ideas, where for the last three or four years, they've been talking about going to college and all of this, and now they really recognize that a shift in thinking could occur. How do they um, do that with their, with their student? Because I think a lot of students have that feeling of college is the experience of going away and they don't really focus on the educational part as much. And there's a difference between community college and full universities online. So, so I think, first of all, I don't think it's a either or, right? I think students at this time, again, even if they're a college of choice, a traditional college that they want to go to, may be offering online classes. So they could still go to that college and start online and then go to campus. So I don't think it has to be this uh, either or decision. Um, I think, again, people should be led by the field they're interested in and, and check the options um, and see how, uh, if they want to start online, you know, what's what's a solid option for that and what's that experience um, and is that a solid experience or if they say hey I want to start here locally or start here online that checking that those credits transfer because the receiving institution is always in charge of what transfers but I'm sure many you know many colleges understand and are um, you know are happy to look at transfer credits and you can get those answers often uh, from some colleges in advance so so I think there's a, a lot of ways for students to still um, have the experience they want if they really want to go have that in-person college experience. Um, there's a way to see online as a portion of that rather than everything. Or they may say, you know, that, that was, that's not important to me and I want to have a more work-study approach to my learning, in which case I'd rather, you know, get some job in the field and work online and kind of um, understand my own strengths and interests in that manner. Um, what are some and I think, you know, a lot of colleges are trying to have more internships and co-ops. I think we all learn better what we love from doing and, and, and being in the field. So I think as a society, we have to do better at exposing high school students to different fields. I know there's some efforts in that in Milwaukee, which are great. Um, because you really, once you're out there, either shadowing on a job or actually having some job experiences, that's when uh, students get a better sense of what type of work they would like and not like. Um, and that helps make better choices when they're looking for a college area to study in. And as I had said earlier, today is that National Teachers Appreciation Week and teachers are just as engaged as teachers online as they are in the classroom. And they're doing it because they love it, because they believe in education. 
And I'm just so appreciative, Renee, that you had the time to spend with us today. My guest today is Renee Herzing. She is a president of Herzing University, and they are in seven states, regionally and nationally, and they've been around a long time. And I think that you've been doing this for such a long time that a lot of universities and a lot of parents are gonna be looking to you and to your university to see how they can make this next transition um, much easier and make it where there are no kids left behind. I mean, that was the motto, not, no students left behind. And so that's what we really want. So thank you very much and enjoy your day. Thank you for tuning in to our COVID-19 edition of Money Sense. Our goal is to provide valuable information so that you can feel more confident in your financial decisions. You can listen to this show and any that you may have missed at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. To discuss these topics and more with one of our wealth advisors, call us at 262 691 3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation.